This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, December 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Mountain Village implements paid parking. Avalanche season arrives in the San Juans. Museum shares fashion of winter's past. And a mountain weather forecast. Residents, employees, and visitors will soon be required to pay for parking in Mountain Village. We're proposing instituting day user fees in GPG. These are daily rates and they're winter only. Summer would go back to free. That's Jim Loby, Transit and Recreation Director for Mountain Village. GPG is the gondola parking garage. The town will be implementing a $10 a day fee in the parking lot Monday through Thursday. Friday through Sunday, $15 a day. Uh, overnight, upping the fee from 25 to 30. The Meadows lot will have the same fee structure as the gondola parking garage, but parking will become free after 3 p.m. While the Meadows and gondola parking garage will only have fees for the winter season, the Heritage Parking Garage, North Village Center, and South Village Center lots will have fees year-round. Heritage Parking Garage, the big change there, we'd be going from $2 an hour to $5 an hour during the weekdays and then $10 an hour during the weekends with a $50 per day max that would get you 24 hours at $50. The North Village Center and South Village Center lots will have the same rates as Heritage Parking Garage. However, the South Village Center lot will permit free parking from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. The Market Plaza lot will allow one-hour free parking from 6.30 a.m. to 2 a.m. Loby says charging for parking will help Mountain Village achieve a number of goals. Hopefully change, modify behaviors, increase carpooling, leading to the reduction of single occupancy vehicles, achieving town's climate action goals, reduce greenhouse gases from the amount of cars coming into Mountain Village, increase use of public transportation, including SMART, Increased revenues will allow for investment in technology, a more actively managed parking system, and new infrastructure going into the future, and provide commuters and employees not living in TMV the ability to park without negatively impacting them from living outside of the town. But for some, it's also a philosophical question. You know, at the present time, when someone says parking's free, it's not free. It's only a question of who's paying it. Um, The taxpayers are paying for it now. That's Mountain Village Town Council member Harvey Mogensen. And I think you, we, we have to address the philosophical question, should users pay something to get a service, which is a quite good service of uh, slopeside parking, and should users pay something for that service, you know, separate from the, from the taxpayers? Outside of the hourly rate, Mountain Village is also implementing a number of parking passes. A residential parking pass will cost $100 per year and will allow parking in the Gondola and Meadows parking lots, the North Village Center lot, and two hours free at the South Village Center lot. Mountain Village will also have an employee commuter permit. Loby again. The employee permit is transferable, and we are trying to encourage carpooling with that. And you can put as many people as you want on that permit. Now, if you have six people on your permit because you have a car that has six seats and you drive one day, your buddy drives the next day, your other buddy drives the next day, and you're all driving different cars, if two of you show up at the same time, those plates will show a duplicate on that permit, and one of those cars will get a ticket. Consultants suggested the employee permit cost $200 for the winter, but there was pushback during public comment. Here's Down Valley resident and Mountain Village worker, Ricky Chaika. It's great to work up here. It's like a great life, but 
Um, we don't, we're not making a ton of money. We're like generating revenue through um, sales and incurring sales tax. We're also spending money up here when we come to eat food or we buy a last minute thing when we recreate or even when we're working. Um, and so to what extent would that fee fall on employees is already pretty tough, I would say. Um, gas hasn't gone down, um, food prices haven't gone down. And um, I think it would deter myself and many of my coworkers from working up here. Based on comment, council decided to reduce the employee rate to $100 for the season. It also decided to implement a regional parking permit at $200 a year. For individuals who live in the R1 school district and or San Miguel County but don't work in Mountain Village. Mountain Village Town Council unanimously approved the new fee structure for parking in town. Paid parking will go into effect in Mountain Village starting on Friday, December 22nd. More information on how to apply for permits will be available soon. With an opening weekend storm, it's officially ski and avalanche season in the San Juans. We just got a really good storm that brought around two feet of snow and well over an inch of water to this area. It fell on a fragile and weak snowpack that had developed during periods of high pressure between, you know, the Thanksgiving storm and this most recent storm. That's Jeff Davis, a backcountry avalanche forecaster for the Colorado Avalanche Information Center based in the Telluride region. Prior to that Thanksgiving storm, we had some older snow near the ground. It wasn't really... It, it was kind of a slow start to the snowpack developing here in the area, but, you know, it's really with this one-two punch of both the Thanksgiving storm and then this early December storm where we set up, you know, now we have a snowpack that's a, over a half a meter in, in many areas. So far, he says the snow is setting up for a classic San Juan snowpack. Where it's shallow, it's it's just faceted, where we didn't get a lot of snow one, you know, in, in one swell push, so we're definitely developing layers and... We'll see how the snowpack goes throughout the season. It's it's definitely, it's it's always the fun, you know, keeps us interested in the in the snow and avalanche game. When it comes to avalanche, Davis notes the danger is already a reality. Avalanche danger is currently rated a considerable. That means that, you know, though the natural cycle is likely taking its course, human-triggered avalanches are likely. Um, you were going to find these conditions mostly on steep north and easterly slopes that have held the most early season snow and has where the most recent storm has drifted snow into those, in those deeper areas. Davis adds there are signs for areas to steer clear of. When you're traveling the backcountry, you use signs of instability, including cracking, collapsing, and other recent avalanche activity to give you ideas of areas you want to avoid. Um, you know, any terrain that you plan to recreate on, a good idea is to dig down into the snowpack and look to see what's lurking below the surface. And the slopes that have less of that weak snow, those sunny slopes prior to the storm, or areas that just didn't have any snow early season, will create um, safer traveling options. And, you know, you can always travel on slopes less than 30 degrees to keep yourself safe from avalanches. To stay safe, Davis urges individuals to have the right gear, an avalanche transceiver, a shovel, and a probe pole. Get avalanche training and check the forecast before you head out. A daily avalanche forecast is available at colorado.gov avalanche. If there was any question, this weekend storm proved winter has arrived in the San Juans and facing the drifts of falling snow and the 4 p.m. dusk, 
I was determined to stay warm this season, wondering how have residents of Telluride past defended themselves against the Box Canyon cold? I posed the question to Molly Daniel at the Telluride Historical Museum, and Daniel plunged into the archives to investigate. Then she stopped by Kodo with a discovery. I did bring something today. Um, we have this amazing accessory in our collection. It's made by John Mansfield, who was a local artist in Telluride in the 1970s. I'm going to open the tube. It's in real quick. Daniel produces a necktie, fattening at the bottom to that ubiquitous diamond shape. It's fit to be tied up below a collar and donned under a crisp sport coat. But rather than a traditional silk or wool, it's made of ripstop nylon and stuffed with feathers, just like a sleeping bag or a puffy jacket. Yes, says Daniel. We have got a down tie. <laughs> um, I, I had to bring it so I could kind of explain it. But it's this vibrant blue color. And just like, you know, your Patagonia puffy jacket, it is a down um, weatherproof tie. The tie was created by John Mansfield in the 1970s. Mansfield, who passed away this spring, was an artist, entrepreneur, and a sort of renaissance man, deeply beloved in the Telluride community. After moving here in the 70s, Mansfield made the area home, and he was constantly working on some sort of endeavor. Daniel says the puffy tie apparently began as a sketch in the local newspaper. I think he originally made it as a joke. Um, it was kind of a cartoon he made for the Telluride Daily Examiner. So he had a cartoon of a bride and groom in like a, a down dress and the groom had on a down tie and somebody suggested he actually make one. So, of course, Mansfield did. But he didn't stop at just one. So he made a few and then with funds he had from other business ventures, he went ahead and got an entire line of down ties produced. And they were actually very, very successful. They were advertised in Sears and Playboy and um, got nationwide attention. Over a few months, Manfield sold thousands of ties through mail order out of his Telluride P.O. box. And the product was featured in national publications, including Sears Magazine and Playboy. The neckties gained traction in the counterculture, which was thriving in both Telluride and the U.S. at the time, as young people rebelled against the strictures and expectations of professional life in the rat race. Daniel refers to a file from the museum's collections. According to John, he sold it to a lot of medical students back east who were required to wear ties but wanted to send a message to the establishment. So these were essentially our anti-establishment ski bum ties, um, which I, I like to imagine a 1970s Telluride full of people wearing town ties. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's how I like to picture Telluride in the 1970s. Although a puffy tie provides little actual insulation, Perhaps it will provide some warmth from the memories of Mansfield and of Telluride's quirky, colorful past. For more stories from town history, visit the Historical Museum, which reopens for winter tomorrow, December 5th. The museum is open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. all season long. On Saturdays, residents of San Miguel County visit free of charge. For more information, visit TellurideMuseum.com. 
If you've procrastinated on getting this year's flu shot, you're in luck. San Miguel County is rolling out another month of vaccine clinics, providing flu, RSV, and COVID immunizations from the public health offices in Telluride. The clinics begin this Wednesday, December 6th, and will continue twice weekly up to the holidays, with an additional clinic scheduled in Norwood for the 18th, at a location to be determined. December through May marks peak flu season, and County Public Health Director Grace Franklin notes COVID is still circulating in Telluride at similar levels to last year during the same time period. To schedule an appointment, visit bit.ly slash SMC fall vaccines. Esther Bellin grew up in Los Angeles. A Diné multimedia artist and writer, her family was relocated from the Southwest in the 1950s as part of the federal Indian relocation policy. Bellin is a graduate of the Institute of American Indian Arts and University of California, Berkeley. She is the featured poet for this month's Bardic Trails Poetry Night, hosted by the Talking Gourds Poetry Club. Bellin's first book of poetry, From the Belly of My Beauty, won the Book Award from Before Columbus Foundation. Her work reflects the experience of a Native American living in L.A., addressing the attempts to assimilate Native people into mainstream American culture with larger themes of racism, alienation, and substance abuse. Bellant currently lives in Durango. The Bardic Trails Poetry Series is a co-production of the Wilkinson Library, the Telluride Institute, between the Covers Bookstore and the Arts District. This month's gathering will take place on Zoom at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, December 5th. To register, visit telluridelibrary.org. One of the largest pro-Israel gatherings in the country wrapped up on Sunday at the Denver Convention Center. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports it went ahead as planned while protesters attempted to disrupt it. The four-day Global Conference for Israel opened last Thursday with a speech from Governor Jared Polis. This year's event was planned before the current conflict in Gaza began on October 7th, but the ongoing hostilities were ever-present over the weekend. The conference is generally focused on humanitarian work in Israel. This year, there was also a focus on fighting anti-Semitism. The event also drew crowds of about 100 pro-Palestinian protesters daily. They were largely peaceful, but there were times when hundreds of people loudly and repeatedly banged on the conference windows. Several protesters were arrested for destruction of property and criminal mischief. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. Fry Bread, Face, and Me is a new feature film with an all-Native American cast. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more. Fry Bread, Face, and Me is written and directed by Billy Luther, a Navajo, Hopi, and Laguna Pueblo man in his mid-40s. Luther also narrated parts of the film. My grandmother always spoke to me as if I understood her. English was something she refused to learn. I'm sure she thought one day I'd answer her back in Navajo. It's a coming-of-age story set in the year 1990. An adolescent Navajo boy growing up in San Diego spends a summer with his grandmother on the Navajo Nation. 
we didn't have to try to get it right. We got it right because we lived this and this was our world. Director Billy Luther says the cast was all Navajo, save one member who was an Alaska native. He also hired Navajo crew members. I just wanted to cast people who understood this Navajo world. Most of these people had to speak um, Navajo, so I just don't see it being any other way. If I was working with a non-native crew, I would have had to kind of tell them how to do it, what colors and what you know things go on the wall. The film is semi-autobiographical. The protagonist is based largely on Luther's own life, growing up as a Native American child in Southern California. Growing up in San Diego was a pretty crazy but fun experience. People thought I was Vietnamese, people thought I was Filipino, and it also people thought I was Latino. And nobody knew of Native Americans living in the city, so I was like a chameleon living in California. The film explores the different sides of his life and identity. I just tell the story that is uh, true to me growing up off the reservation, you know, as some would say, an urban Indian, and also being three tribes, um, Navajo, Hopi, and Laguna Pueblo. They're very different from each other. So my perspective, my outlook, and also just my um, way of life is, is unique. And I think that's true for majority of Native storytellers, filmmakers, writers. Just diving into that um, truth is going to be authentic. So that's what I present in my work from my documentaries, you know, in the past and, and this. Billy Luther lives in Los Angeles, and he's part of a growing community of Native American filmmakers there. Frybread Face and Me premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival in March, for KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a clear night tonight with a low around 20 degrees, followed by a sunny day on Tuesday with a high in the mid-40s. Tuesday night should be mostly clear with a low around 25 degrees. Expect sunny skies again on Wednesday with a high around 40 followed by a cloudy night with a slight chance of snow showers and a low near 25. This has been the news for Monday, December 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.